Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio Podcast, a podcast devoted to Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. On today's episode, we'll start with a review of our match on Saturday against Genoa. In part two, we'll recap the action from our top competitors on match day 21, and in part 3, we'll preview our next match, which is the second leg of our Coppa Italia semi-final against Atalanta. So let's start with the game on Saturday. Here's how it went. Final checks for the match official, Gianluca Manganiello. And we're up and running at Marassi. De Laurentiis hasn't really come out and... Expressed himself. What a chance here for Goran Pandev to open the scoring. And it had to be him. The former Napoli player profits from a terrible slip from the Atturi. Time is the call for Chiborra. Pandev has it too. Destro. Surrounded by blue shirts. It breaks for Pandev and Zayt. Pandev is in again, you know. And he scores his second. Astonishing scenes at Manassi. Goran Pandev had scored one goal all season. He's now got two in the space of 26 minutes. And the misery is just being piled on for Gattuso. Gianluca Manganiello says that will do for the first half. Goran Pandev has come to the fore at Manassi. 45 very big minutes coming up both for the Grifone and the visitors we're back up and running at the Luigi Ferraris taken short by Politano Lozano's cross it nearly reached Bakayoko it's given away to Politano and we have one back this 
time it was Genoa who made the mistake. Napoli convinced they should have a late penalty here in the final minute of added time. Marco Di Bello is the video assistant referee. If Gianluca Magagnello's got this wrong, you can be sure that he will flag it up. Mario Rui tried to get in front of Scamacca, who did lean into him in truth. I'm not sure that's necessarily a dive. It's whether Mario Rui was in front of Scamacca and whether the latter played the ball. I'm not so sure he did. Genoa might have dodged a bullet there. Napoli well within their rights to ask the question. And if Mario Rui has been cautioned, can only assume it's for dissent rather than simulation. But Gianluca Magagnello has made the call. He saw it. Clearly, Marco Di Bello, the VAR, doesn't think it's a clear and obvious error. Doesn't see it as a penalty. And victory is confirmed for Genoa. As you heard, Napoli lost 2-1. Goran Pandev scored a first half brace while Matteo Politano scored a late goal for Napoli. This was another hugely disappointing result knowing that Roma and Atalanta both dropped points earlier in the day. Our performance in this match was very similar to our performance in the loss to Spezia. Our performance in this match was very similar to our performance in the loss to Spezia. We conceded goals that came off of inexcusable mistakes. Genoa didn't have any chances beyond the two that resulted in the goals, and Goran Pandev of all people converted them. He was only playing because Eldor Shomurodov picked up a knock in training earlier in the week. Meanwhile, we had plenty of chances. We hit the bar once, we hit the post once, and we were denied what appeared to be a clear penalty in the dying minutes of the match. But we weren't simply unlucky. Mattia Perin came up big when his team needed him to, and Victor Osman and Elif Elmas didn't come up big when we needed them to. The loss once again puts Gattuso immediately back on the hot seat. In reality, despite the wins over Spezia and Parma and the draw to Atalanta, he never really left the hot seat. We'll talk about all of that in this review and we'll revisit our three keys to the match, but first let's take a look at the starting lineups. Davide Ballardini had two changes compared to our predicted 11 and compared to the squad that he fielded against Crotone. Genoa lined up in their usual 3-5-2 formation with Mattia Perin in goal. Eduardo Goldeniga started over Andrea Maziello in the center of the three-man back line with Domenico Criscito on the left and Ivan Radovanovic on the right. Lennart Sisbora played at left wing back and Davide Zapacosta played at right wing back. Miha Zac started in the center of the midfield with Milan Badel to his left and Kevin Strutman to his right. And finally, Goran Pandev started in place of the injured Shumurodov up top alongside Matteo Destro, where we had Marco Piazza getting the start. Gennaro Gattuso also had two changes compared to our predicted 11. He went back to the 4-3-3 for this one. Once again, David Ospina started over Alex Meret in goal. He seems to be the clear number one at the moment. I think Meret is an excellent keeper, but you can't say that Ospina doesn't deserve it either. The back four was exactly as expected, with Nikola Maksimovic covering for Kaladu Koulibaly, who's out due to COVID. Kostas Manolas was the other center back. Mario Rui started at left back and Giovanni Di Lorenzo started at right back. Diego Demis started again in the double pivot, which was great news because that likely means he did not suffer a concussion against Atalanta. He played with Elif Elmas and Piotr Zielinski in the midfield. We also got the front three right in our predicted 11, with Lorenzo Insigne hurt, Chucky Lozano shifted over to the left wing, and Matteo Politano started on the right wing. Finally, Andrea Petania started at striker. So those were the starting lineups. Next, let's review our three keys to the match. 
The first key to the match was that we couldn't give up easy chances because with the likes of Matteo Destro in form, Genoa have the quality to take them. We clearly failed in this regard. Both of Genoa's goals were the result of Napoli conceding possession at the top of our own box. On the first goal, Maximovic played a pass into the middle of the pitch, out of the reach of Diego Deme and straight to Badel. He immediately played Pandev through and the Macedonian calmly waited for the right moment to take his shot. He eventually took that shot and beat Ospina on the right side of the goal. On the second goal, I think a number of players were at fault. First, both Deme and Zielinski had pretty weak tackles on Destro before the ball fell for Zach. Then you had neither Maximovic nor Manolas pick up the run of Pandev into the area. Manolas stopped running thinking that Maximovic would pick up the run, but instead Maximovic stepped up on Zach. Finally, it wouldn't have mattered that neither of them picked up the run because had Mario Rui pushed up, Pandev would have been offside, but instead Mario Rui played him onside. If you wanted to nitpick, there were a couple of curious non-calls in the build-up to this goal. First, the play started with what appeared to be a foul on Di Lorenzo by Strutman. Then later in the build-up, Crisito played a long ball for Destro, and he appeared to take the ball down with his arm, but neither were called. But we also have to give Genoa credit as well. They completed 20 consecutive passes in the build-up before Deme and Zielinski poked the ball to Zach. The second key to the match was that we needed to test Mattia Perin early and often. I think we can say that we accomplished this right from the start of the match. We were playing aggressive, playing high up the pitch, and looking to shoot at every opportunity. According to the official match report, we had 24 shot attempts, 11 of which were on target, 8 off target, and 5 that were blocked. Most of the saves that Perin made in the first half were fairly comfortable, but that could also be because his positioning is so sound that he makes some of these saves look a lot easier than they actually are. I think the saves he made on Zielinski in the opening minutes and then on Lozano in the 18th minute are excellent examples of that. Perin's best save though came in the 26th minute of the second half when Diego Demet dribbled into the area and whipped his shot on target but somehow Perin got a hand to it. Ironically, our best chances were the ones that didn't hit the target. In the first half, Chucky Lozano drew a foul on Zapacosta in the Genoa half. Mario Rui finally played a decent ball into the area for Petania, and sure enough, he nearly scored, but he was denied by the frame of the goal. Then we had three more golden chances in the second half. In the 63rd minute, Di Lorenzo squared for Osman in front of the goal. Osman did well to get in front of Goldeniga, but he couldn't keep his shot down. Then in the 78th minute, Lozano played in across to Insigne at the near post, but his volley struck the upright and stayed out. And finally, in the third minute of stoppage time, Bakayoko played Lozano into the area. He squared for Almas in front of the goal, and the young Macedonian failed to hit the target. Besides the shots that hit the frame, that was probably our best chance of the half. Elmas has been great since we switched back to the 4-3-3 and his play shouldn't be judged by one miss. However, that was the second time this season that Elmas had a chance that could have changed the result of the match, both from pretty much the exact same position and the outcome was the same. The last time was in the 89th minute against Spezia when we were also down 2-1. The final key to the match was that we needed to control the run of play and we definitely achieved this. Genoa had a total of 4 shot attempts in the entire match, only 2 of them were on target which were the 2 goals. The other 2 shots were from Zapacosta both in the second half. The first came early in the second half after Sizbora and Nutmeg Di Lorenzo before playing in a cross. Destro and Pandev got in each other's way but the ball fell for Zapacosta at the top of the box. He pulled his shot and in the end it was nowhere near the goal. Genoa's next shot didn't come until the 86th minute and it was blocked. 
Other than that, Genoa did not come anywhere near the Napoli goal for the rest of the match. The problem is that simply having possession isn't good enough. In the first half, while I was glad that we were taking lots of shots, we were really settling for shots from distance, we never really penetrated the box, it was only after we introduced Osimhen in the second half that we started to create chances in the area. Just like the Spezia match, this was a game where we were clearly the better team. We achieved two out of our three keys to the match, but costly mistakes and an inability to finish ultimately cost us three points. I'll close this review with two quick comments. First, I saw a lot of people online saying that there were no positives to take away from this match. I know it felt like that in the moment, but I thought there was one positive, and that was the play of Victor Osiman. First, he came into the match in the 55th minute, which was much earlier than we were expecting. I doubt he would have come on so early had we not been down by two, but nonetheless he played until the end of the match, and I thought our attack looked far better with Osiman on the field. We settled for fewer outside shots and started playing more crosses into the area. We passed our way into the area as well, though I still didn't see the urgency I want this team to play with. There was a moment about midway through the second half where Osman got into it with a few Genoa players that Maximovic had to intervene. I was actually happy to see that at least someone was playing with a bit of fire out there. Osman was also involved in just about every positive play we made in the attack. The damage chance that Pedin saved started with a long ball from Di Lorenzo over the top for Osimhen. He held up play before laying off to Lozano, who then fed Demme. Osimhen also won the corner kick that led to the Politano goal, and then of course he had that chance that he should have scored. So hopefully Osimhen is fit to start against Atalanta midweek because Petania is not going to get it done in attack. After the match, Gattuso said Osimhen is not yet 100%, so we'll see who starts between Petania and Osimhen. Moving on, I want to quickly comment on the missed penalty. I know we should never put ourselves in a position where we need a penalty to be given, but on a night where it seemed like we couldn't catch a break, we really did need that call. I think Mario Rui's reputation precedes him, and I think that's largely why Gianluca Manganiello decided not to award the penalty. But perhaps this should be a lesson to players not to flop and exaggerate so much. It's like the boy who cried wolf, when you fake it too much, you don't get the help when you need it. That being said, this was a frustrating non-call. I fully appreciate why Manganiello might have thought in real time that that was a dive, but as soon as we saw the replay, I think it was pretty clear there was a foul there, or at the very least, that it was worth a review. Marco Di Bello was on the VAR, but we don't know whether or not he called Manganiello to review it. The last thing I'll say is that you can pretty much expect that for the balance of the season that every time we lose, the papers and about 50% of our fan base will be looking for Gattuso's head. I think I've made my position clear, which is that we should let him play out this season. I'm not going to preach about it because I think if you think he should be fired, there's probably no way I'm going to change your mind. I think there are valid arguments to keep him and valid arguments to let him go. But what does get to me is when we stop being objective about it. I see a lot of people looking for reasons that he should be fired. One thing I saw a lot of during this game was that Gattuso should have started Rachmani over Maximovic. Now, I do agree with that. Maximovic has been dreadful this season. In my preview, I talked about how this would be a perfect opportunity for Maximovic to redeem himself and to get his value back up, but he obviously didn't do that. That being said, we can't pretend that starting Rachmani over Maximovic would have magically changed the outcome of this game. Yes, he was at fault on the first goal, but as I mentioned, you can't pin the second goal solely on Maximovic. Even if we don't concede that goal, that would have made the final 1-1, and anyone who wants Gattuso out 
would still want him out after a draw. But we didn't just lose because we conceded bad goals, it was also because we didn't take our wide open chances, and that's on the players, not on Gattuso. The other argument I didn't really get was that Gattuso has used three different formations in three weeks. Everyone was criticizing the 4-2-3-1 when we played that. There's nothing inherently wrong with using different formations. Gattuso has made it pretty clear that he used the 3-4-3 against Atalanta because he needed to rest players and because of the limited players available. The 4-3-3 worked fine against Spezia and Parma, and that was the formation we wanted him to go back to when we weren't getting results in the 4-2-3-1, so we can't now criticize him for using the 4-3-3 against Genoa. It just feels to me like we're criticizing Gattuso with the benefit of hindsight. So that's where I'll leave it. I'm sure plenty of people will have plenty of things to say about why Gattuso should be fired, but like I said, there are valid arguments either way. That will do for part one. In part two, we'll check in on how our competitors did. Napoli in farmacia. Io cammino ogni notte. Io cammino e sbariano. Io non tengo mai suono, non chiudo mai il e non bevo caffè. Pate cocche, sienta a me. Pate cocche, sienta a me. Una persiana che sbatte. Lo lampione che luce. E non briaca che dice bussanna na porta marava non c'è a tre misa non dormi più na bucchella vorrei ascurda gente decida ma gomma già va piglia della pastiglia piglia della pastiglia sienta a me per me fa dormi per me fa scorda il mio dolce amor piglia della pastiglia Piglia de una pastilla, sienta a me. Pa' me fa sentir come un gran pascià e mi nebra il cuore. Tinte vetrine tutti farmacista. La vecchia camomilla ha dato il posto. Alle palline glicero, fosfato e bromo televisionato, grammi 003. Piglia oh. de una pastilla, sienta a me. Next, we'll take a look at how the top half of the table shaped up after match day 21. Heading into the round, we were sitting in 5th place, 9 points back of Milan in 1st, and 7 points back of Inter in 2nd. Roma were in 3rd on 40 points, and Juve were hot on their heels with 39 points. We were tied with Lazio on 37 points, but we had the better goal differential. Atalanta were 1 point back in 7th place. Then there was a bit of a drop-off to Sassuolo, Hellas Verona, and Sampdoria, who rounded out the top 10. Inter opened the round on Friday against Fiorentina. Heading into this match, Inter hadn't won in their last six at the Franchi, so they were looking to turn that around. Christian Stellini was on the Inter bench once again, while Antonio Conte served the second of his two-game suspension. Inter got their win at the Franchi, winning 2-0 on goals from Nicolo Barella and Ivan Perisic. This was a complete performance from Inter. They played well at both ends of the pitch, as we expected from Cesare Prandelli, Fiorentina set up to frustrate Inter, but it didn't work. They patiently broke down Fiorentina's wall of defense with quick passes and a ton of movement off the ball. At the back, Inter hardly conceded any chances, and when they did, they got some great goalkeeping and a bit of luck. Fiorentina's only real chance of the match came in the 37th minute, and it was actually a double chance. Lucas Martinez quarta nutmegged even Perisic before squaring to Bonaventura, who smashed his shot from a tight angle on target. 
Handanovic did really well to push the shot off the bar. The rebound fell for Cristiano Biragi on the left side of the box and he fired a low shot on target but Handanovic managed to kick it out. Those chances woke Fiorentina up a bit at the end of the first half, which they needed because Inter were clearly the better side to that point. I thought Alexis Sanchez was excellent for the hour that he played. Sanchez started over Lautaro Martinez and he came to play. He looked very energetic and he seemed to be involved in just about every Inter attack. He was involved in both of Inter's goals. The first came from a set piece around the half hour mark. For me, no team in Serie A is more productive from corner kicks than Inter is. They often score in the air with their big center backs getting forward, but this time they scored on the ground. Sanchez played a short corner to Marcelo Brozovic, who returned the ball back to Sanchez. The Chilean did well to stay onside, then he squared up as if he was going to play in a cross before picking up Barella at the top of the box. Barella did the rest, he took one touch to control the ball before firing a perfect bending shot around the outstretched arms of Bartolome Drogowski and into the side netting at the back post. How much more can you say about this guy? He continues to play at an elite level. You may as well crown him this season's best Serie A midfielder. On Inter's second goal, Sanchez played a gorgeous through ball to Ashraf Hakimi on the right wing. The speedy wing back beat Igor to the ball before squaring to even Perisic for the tap-in. Referee Federico Lapena played a great advantage on the play after Barella was clearly fouled by Valentin Isarek in the build-up. Perisic nearly scored a second in the 65th minute from another set piece, but Dragovski made a fantastic save on the low shot to keep Fiorentina in the match. Perisic had to be removed late in the match with what appeared to be a muscle injury. Igor had a really tough match. He and Biragi really struggled to defend Hakimi on the wing. Biragi also had to be removed late in the match, also with a muscle injury. Inter probably could have scored 4 or 5 goals had it not been for Dragovski and most of those chances were created by Sanchez. In the 6th minute he made a great turn on Igor before playing the ball out wide to Hakimi. His cross got through to Barella who got a decent shot off but somehow Dragovski got a hand on the ball while diving the other way. Just before the break, Brozovic sprung Sanchez who carried into the area before cutting into his right foot. He played an inviting ball to Lukaku at the back post that the Belgian should have headed in, but he just got under the ball. Drogowski made a few more big saves in the second half. First on Roberto Gagliardini, header directed toward the bottom corner. That play also started with a poor clearance by Igor, straight to Milan Skriniar. Then Drogowski made a save on Lautaro after a given goal with Lukaku, but his bending shot appeared to be heading wide of the mark anyway. A couple of Fiorentina players made their debuts off the bench. Alexander Kokorin and Kevin Malqui came on in the second half, but neither were able to make a difference. So once again, Inter moved to the top of the table with Milan yet to play. I don't think too many Interisti were expecting to stay at the top of the table for long with Milan playing against Crotone on Sunday. Milan got a very comfortable 4-0 win on braces from Zlatan Ibrahimovic and Antti Rebic. Early on, it looked like Crotone might actually make a match of it. They were playing positive and getting forward, but Milan's first goal, which came about half hour into the match, really took the wind out of their sails. Zlatan played a beautiful give-and-go with Rafael Leal before finishing to the far post. The return pass from Leal was excellent. It was perfectly weighted for Ibra to put it away. The game flowed pretty much in one direction after that. Leal came close to scoring in the 61st minute, but Alex Cordaz made an excellent save. 
However, only a few minutes later, Milan got their second goal. Somehow Zlatan was left completely unmarked in front of the goal and Teo Hernandez found him. Even if Ibra wasn't there, Samu Castillejo was also open in front of the goal. Teo also had an excellent match getting up and down that left wing. Five minutes later, Antti Rebic scored a brace himself. The first was a header from a corner kick. The second started with a shot from Ibrahimovic that dipped in front of Cordaz. The keeper stopped the shot but was unable to control the rebound which fell for Hakan Chalanoglu who was making his first appearance since recovering from COVID. Chalanoglu squared to Rebic in front of the goal and he put away his third goal in his last two matches. Even Mario Mandzukic nearly got in on the action but his header late in the match was cleared off the line so this one finished 4-0 for Milan. The match of the week was Juventus against Roma, which was played on Saturday as well. Juve won 2-0 on goals from Cristiano Ronaldo and a Roger Ibanez own goal. Roma looked good early on. They were pressuring Juve into making mistakes and conceding possession. They were moving the ball quickly and Jordan Vertu and Leonardo Spinazzola were looking dangerous on the left side. But it was Juve who opened the scoring against the run of play and who else to do it but Ronaldo. The play started with Spinazzola playing a wayward switch straight to Alexandro. He carried up field, then did really well to avoid the tackle of Brian Cristante before laying off to Alvaro Morata inside the box. He found Ronaldo at the top of the box, and then he did the rest. He took one touch with his right foot to control the ball, and then fired with his left. He had no run-up, so there wasn't much power on the shot, but the shot was so accurate that it didn't matter. With his weaker foot, Ronaldo placed the shot into the side netting to Paulo Lopez's left, to put Juve ahead. That was his league leading 16th goal of the season. Ronaldo and Morata were really linking up well in this game. Ronaldo nearly scored a second about 10 minutes later. Again Morata found him but his shot was deflected by Marash Kumbula before rattling the bar and staying out. Then before the break Morata played a gorgeous ball over the top to Ronaldo. He let the ball bounce once and then hit a powerful volley on target but Lopez made the save. Had that shot gone in there would have been quite a bit of controversy. The play started with a Roma free kick that Ronaldo stuck his foot in front of from about only a yard away. You're supposed to be 10 yards away but Orzato didn't call it. Other than that I thought Orzato actually did an excellent job calling this match despite his reputation calling Juve matches. In fact he even showed Ronaldo a yellow card in the second half for descent. After the Juve goal, which again was only 13 minutes into the match, you knew it was going to be tough for Roma to come back. Juve are experts at protecting a lead. That starts from the back. Giorgio Chiellini had arguably his best game of the season. I also thought Alexandro played really well in his first start in the league since returning from injury. He made a play early in the second half where he kept pace with Rick Karsdorp all the way down the field and then blocked his cross. Pirlo has shown us that he is a pragmatist. He's content slowing the play down and passing the ball around the back. Pirlo is also growing tactically. He made two substitutions in the 65th minute, replacing Weston McKennie with Juan Cuadrado and Alvaro Morata with Dejan Kulusevski. Only minutes after coming on, they linked up to score Juve's second goal. Cuadrado played a gorgeous through ball to Kulusevski, who made an equally gorgeous run. Kulusevski squared the ball past Lopez, and Roger Ibanez put the ball into his own goal while desperately sliding back to make a play. Ibanez doesn't exactly have the best luck playing against Juve. Fonseca made a few subs of his own actually only minutes before Pirlo made his changes. One of Fonseca's moves was to bring on Edin Dzeko for his first appearance since his spat with the coach. It really felt like Roma were missing that big target man in the first half. Dzeko came close to scoring late in the half 
but his header skipped off his head in the rain and missed the target. Carlos Perez also came off the bench and also had a decent effort from outside of the box, but it was well stopped by Wojtek Szczesny. In the end, Roma were unable to score and their struggles against top clubs continued. They now have 4 draws and 5 losses to teams in the top half of the table. Meanwhile, Juve are absolutely on fire. They have 10 wins and 1 loss in all competitions in 2021. Their only loss came to Inter in Serie A. It was also their 5th clean sheet in their last 6 matches in all competitions and the first time this season they've recorded back-to-back clean sheets in Serie A. Juve have now conceded the fewest goals in all of Serie A. Moving on, Atalanta drew Torino 3-3 on Saturday as well. Josip Ilicic, Robin Gozins, and Luis Muriel scored for Atalanta, followed by goals from Andrea Bellotti, Gleason Bremer, and Federico Bonazzoli. Early on, it looked like it was going to be a dominant performance from Atalanta. They were taking their chances, scoring three times in the opening 21 minutes of the match. Meanwhile, Torino, and Simone Zaza in particular, were not taking their chances. In the opening 16 minutes, he missed two chances from dangerous areas in the box. Atalanta opened the scoring in the 14th minute after Torino conceded possession cheaply in the middle of the park. Martin Darun played a gorgeous long ball over the top to Josip Ilicic, who had slipped behind the Torino back line. Ilicic let the ball bounce once before volleying past Salvatore Sirigu. Sirigu got a piece of the shot, but not enough to keep it out. Sirigu didn't exactly have his best performance. In fact, all season he hasn't looked like the keeper that we've come to know and love. Initially, the goal was ruled out for offside, but VAR reviewed the play and confirmed that Ilicic was in fact onside, so the goal counted. Atalanta doubled their lead five minutes later on the break. Ruslan Malinowski played the ball out wide to Luis Muriel. It looked like Muriel was trying to play the return pass back to Malinowski, but the pass was just out of his reach. Credit to Robin Gosens for continuing his run though. He chased the ball down at the far post and fired from a sharp angle. Once again, Sirigu got a piece of the shot, but not enough to keep it out. I wonder if he just wasn't expecting Gosens to get there and perhaps was caught slightly off guard by the shot. Finally, only two minutes later, Muriel added the third. His first attempt was stopped by Sirigu, who pushed the ball straight back in front of him, and Muriel calmly chipped in for his 12th in Serie A and his 15th in all competitions. At that point, I thought to myself this couldn't possibly be going any worse for Napoli. All I wanted was for Torino to put up a fight to tire out some of these Atalanta players like Toloi, Gozins, and Piscina that might play again midweek. It was looking like Atalanta were going to coast to the win, but thankfully they're not particularly good at defending, especially Jose Luis Palomino. Torino finally woke up in the 38th minute after Palomino failed to clear the ball with his slide tackle in the Atalanta box. Nicola Muru chipped over Pierluigi Golini, but Gozins followed up the play and headed the ball off the line. A moment later, Palomino pulled down Andrea Bellotti in the box. I thought Bellotti went down rather easily, but the penalty was given nonetheless. Bellotti took the penalty himself and was actually stopped by Golini, but he was first to the rebound and finished to make the score 3-1. Only a few minutes later, Rolando Mandragora came close to scoring his first for Torino, but his shot hit both the bar and the upright and stayed out. Fortunately for Torino, the ball fell for Gleason Bremer in front of the goal and he tucked it in to reduce the deficit to one. So after a rapid start to the half, Atalanta went into the break, only up a goal. Not much happened in the opening 20 minutes of the second half and then both sides hit the woodwork. Wilfried single fired from the top of the box with the outside of his right boot 
and hit the bar. Then less than 10 minutes later, Alexei Miranchuk hit the far post with his left-footed strike from the left side of the box. In typical Gasparini fashion, three of his first four substitutions were to bring on attacking players, presumably with the intent to score a fourth goal, but that did not happen. Instead, Torino scored the equalizer in the 84th minute. Once again, Andrea Bellotti won a free kick in the Atalanta half. Two of Davide Nicola's substitutions linked up on the play. Simone Verdi played a gorgeous ball into the area, and Federico Bonazzoli rose up to head the ball inside the far post. Neither team scored after that, so once again, Atalanta dropped points in a game that they really should have won. That was a huge result for Napoli, who of course are competing with Atalanta for a Champions League spot. Finally, Lazio beat Cagliari 1-0 on yet another game-winning goal from Ciro Immobile. Cagliari sat back and made it really difficult for Lazio to create anything in the attack. With Cagliari sitting back, Lazio were clearly the more positive side getting forward. Lazio got a couple of decent shots on target, but Lazio Cranio was up to the task. First, he stopped Luis Alberto's volley towards the bottom corner, and then he stopped Ciro Immobile's volley, which caught a bit too much of the goal. Lazio came out strong in the second half and it felt like it was only a matter of time before they broke through. That goal came in the 61st minute. Francesco Acerbi played a long ball into the area. Sergei Milinkovic-Savic, who was just awarded the Serie A Player of the Month for January, rose up to win the header over Daniele Rugani. He headed the ball back to Immobile, who made a clever dummy to lose Sebastian Walukiewicz before beating Cranio. Cranio almost made a miraculous save, but didn't get enough of the ball to keep it out. Immobile was certainly deserving of the goal. He nearly scored about 5 minutes prior after Luis Alberto played him through on the left side of the box. Immobile burned Walukiewicz with a fake shot before dropping his shoulder and cutting to his left, but Cranio kept his shot out. After the goal, Cagliari finally woke up and created a number of chances, but their finishing was really poor. Leonardo Pavoletti had an open shot from the right side, but somehow Manuel Lazzari made the block. João Pedro had a chance from the top of the box, but he skied his shot over the bar. And Nahid Hernandez had an effort from outside the box that actually hit the target, but Pepe Reina was there to make the save. So Lazio got their 6th consecutive win in Serie A. They've also picked up 19 out of a possible 21 points since the start of the calendar year. Meanwhile, Cagliari have now gone 14 matches without a win. 9 of those matches have been losses and they've now dropped into the relegation zone which is really remarkable. So this was yet another terrible weekend for Napoli. Nearly all of our competition at the top of the table won. Milan are now 12 points clear of us and Inter are 10 points clear of us. Juve moved up to 3rd with their win over Roma and we missed the opportunity to pass Roma as well. Lazio jumped over us with their win over Cagliari so they are now tied with Roma on 40 points. Roma have the better goal differential so they are technically higher in the table. The official tiebreaker is head to head record but that is not used until both of the head to head matches are played. Fortunately, Atalanta blew their game against Torino, so they only pulled level with us on 37 points, but we have the advantage on goal differential, head-to-head, -head, and we have a game in hand. So we're in 6th place, and Atalanta are in 7th. Sassuolo and Hellas Verona both lost, and Sampdoria drew Benevento, so they remain in 8th, 9th, and 10th, respectively. <laughs> Lilla tutta verità, che mamma te può capire, e 
chi c'ha mamma non piange è vero Ma se non soffi non cade il velo Che ti fa vivere in bianco e nero Un uomo libero segue la sua strada Anche se è sbagliata Ci vediamo alla prossima cazzata In the final part, we'll preview the second leg of our Coppa Italia semi-final against Atalanta. This will be the 10th meeting between these two clubs in the Coppa Italia dating back to 1973. Of course, the most recent meeting was just last week in the first leg. I won't go over that game in much detail here, but if you're looking for a quick refresher, check out the Forza Napoli Worldwide episode we did with Gianluca. The quick summary was that we lined up in a 3-4-3 formation for the first and only time so far this season, and the game plan was clearly to avoid conceding a goal. We dropped into a 5-4-1 in defense, which is what we did for the majority of the match. Atalanta had a few decent chances in the match, but David Ospina made a few big saves, and we were fortunate that Atalanta's best chance fell for Rafael Toloi and not for Duvan Zapata or Luis Muriel. Kalidou Koulibaly was probably the only outfield player who actually played well. He hit a lot of the mistakes we made at the back with his stellar play, so it will be interesting to see how we manage against this potent Atalanta attack without him. Atalanta will also be without one of their key center backs in Christian Romero. He picked up his second yellow of the tournament in the first leg, so he will have to sit this one out. That's great for us because it means Jose Luis Palomino will likely start in his place, and he's been a huge liability for Atalanta this season. Neither of these teams responded well after the draw. As we spoke about in part 1, Napoli lost 2-1 to an informed Genoa side that we really should have beat. After the match, Gennaro Gattuso expressed his concern and frustrations because, like against Spezia, we continue to make costly mistakes and panic at the back, and we continue to create chances but not convert them. Meanwhile, as we spoke about in part 2, Atalanta blew a 3-0 lead over Torino, who fought back to earn a 3-3 draw. Giampiero Gasparini blamed fatigue for the poor result, particularly with his back line and particularly at the end of the first half. So both of these sides will be looking to bounce back in this match. For Gattuso, he's hoping a trip to another Coppa Italia final will settle some of the criticisms of him and the constant questioning about whether he will resign. A win or a draw with goal, so any draw other than nil-nil, would see Napoli through to the final. Meanwhile, Gasperini has spoken quite openly about the importance of winning a cup, which has been evidenced by the squads he's fielded in Serie A lately. It appears that Coppa Italia is actually a higher priority to him even than Serie A is. That's actually shown in Atalanta's recent results in Serie A, including that draw to Torino on the weekend. Atalanta have won only one of their last five Serie A games, including draws to Genoa and Udinese. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. 
Gasparini usually lines up in either the 3-4-1-2 or a 3-4-2-1. I think he'll use a 3-4-1-2 here. Pierluigi Golini will start in goal. With Christian Romero suspended, I expect to see Brajim City shift over to the left, Palomino to start in the middle, and Rafael Toloi to start again on the right. In the midfield, Robin Gosens will play at left wing back, and I suspect Joachim Meili will start again on the right, since he rested for the match against Torino. Raymond Freuler and Martin Darun should start again in the center of the midfield. Freuler is also well rested after not playing against Torino. Now in the first leg, Gasparini experimented a little bit by playing Matteo Piscina behind Duvan Zapata and Luis Muriel, who don't often play together since Atalanta did not score. I think Gasparini will add a bit more creativity in the attack by starting Josip Ilicic instead of Muriel. So I have Matteo Piscina starting in behind Zapata and Ilicic for the second leg. For Napoli, even though we played in a 3-4-3 in the first leg, I think we'll see Gattuso use the 4-3-3 here. We simply don't have enough center backs to play a three-man back line. Koulibaly is out with COVID and Manolas is out with an ankle injury. Napoli confirmed on Monday that Manolas has a second-degree sprain of the anterior perineal talus ligament and that the club will reassess in three weeks. That does not mean he will be back in three weeks. That's basically the same injury that Mertens had and we know how much time he's missed. I know Giovanni Di Lorenzo has played at center back before but in a 3-4-3 he would be the right wing back so I just don't see us using that formation. We're down to our least desirable center back pairing in Nikola Maksimovic and Amir Rachmani. With Mario Rui playing on the weekend and having another poor outing I think we'll see LCQ Sai return at left back and of course Giovanni Di Lorenzo would then start at right back. In the three-man midfield, I expect to see Tiamoui Bakayoko start as the regista with Diego Demet to his right and Piotr Zielinski to his left. I'll explain why I think that when I get to our three keys to the match. Finally, up top, I expect to see Lorenzo Insigne start on the left wing and Chucky Lozano start on the right wing. Striker is a position I'm quite torn about. I think you can make arguments for either of Andrea Petania or Victor Osimhen to start. The argument for Petania is that Osimhen is still not 100%. I think he's close, but not quite there. Also, Osimhen replaced Petania in the 55th minute against Genoa on Saturday, so Petania will be well rested. The argument for starting Victor Osimhen is that I expect us to play a very defensive game, which means when we do get the ball, we'll be looking to launch it forward. With Osimhen's pace, there's no better player on this team to chase those balls down and to hold up play for his teammates. But as we know, the reason Gattuso prefers the 4-2-3-1 with Osimhen in the squad is because he needs the support when he chases those balls down, but that would not be consistent with a defensive approach, so for that reason, I think Petania will start. So those are our starting lineups, next let's get to our three keys to the match. The first key to the match is we need to support our center backs. With Koulibaly and Manolas out, we're down to our least desirable pairing. I think both Maksimovic and Rachmani have something to prove. Maksimovic will be looking to atone for the error he made against Genoa and frankly for the many other errors he's made so far this season. This is the reason why I think Gattuso will start Bakayoko at the Regista because he can sit in front of those two center backs to provide that additional support. He also happens to be well rested. Unfortunately, I think that means Elif Elmas gets pushed to the bench. That's not necessarily a bad thing though. He could use the rest after playing the full 90 against Genoa. That would also ensure that he's rested for the next game, which is a big one against Juventus at the weekend. Now, I do think we could see both Elmas and Osimhen come in off the bench, particularly if we fall behind which brings us to our second key to the match. 
Our second key to the match is that we cannot concede a goal in the first half, and if we do, we need to limit the damage to just one goal. It's extremely important that we do not concede an early goal. We know that this team gets down on themselves, so if we concede early, it's going to be hard for them to fight back. If we do concede that early goal, it will then become very important that we limit the damage to just one. We'll have weapons on the bench, but Gattuso is not going to make those changes and switch his tactics in the first half. Fortunately, Atalanta is weak at the back, so if there's any team that you can fight back against, it's them. Just look at what Torino did to them on the weekend. So even if we do find ourselves down by two, we certainly won't be out of it. I think the score will dictate how Gattuso manages this game. If we go into the break with a lead or tied, including nil-nil, I think he'll leave the same squad out there for as long as possible. If we go into the break down a goal, then I think he'll probably leave the same squad out there for the start of the half, but look to make some early changes around the 55th minute, like he did against Genoa. And if we go into the breakdown by two or more goals, then he will likely make his changes at the half. I would expect him to replace Patania with Osiman again like he did against Genoa, and I would expect him to move Zielinski up to the 10 spot, so that we are now playing in a 4-2-3-1. If we still need to score, then I would expect Eli Valmas to replace Bakayoko and potentially even Matteo Politano to replace Diego Deme if we're desperate. The final key to the match is we simply cannot play out of the back when Atalanta is pressing high. That did not work well in the first leg even when we had our two best center backs on the field, so it's definitely not going to work well with Maksimovic and Rachmani starting. I thought that was a big reason why we didn't create anything in attack in the first leg. We often try to play out of the back, and when we were pressured we were forced to go long. So if we're going to go long anyway, we're much better off playing long directly from the goal kick for a couple of reasons. First, we can actually target one of our players, which is one of the reasons why I have Patania in our starting 11. With his size, strength, and hold-up play, he can win some of those long balls, especially with Romero not available for Atalanta. When we play short and then go long, chances are those long balls will not be terribly accurate. Second, if we play long, our entire team can shift up the field, which automatically negates Atalanta's high press. After the Genoa game, Gattuso said, I've played football, I know you can make mistakes, but we don't have time to work on playing out from the back in training as we play every three days, so at this point, I really don't see any reason to continue with that approach, at least not against a team like Atalanta that presses high. The head official for this match will be Federico La Pena. La Pena has refereed 9 Napoli matches since 2018. Napoli have a record of 7 wins, 1 draw, and 1 loss in those matches, including 3 from this season. He did the 3-1 loss to Milan, the 2-1 win over Sampdoria, and our 2-0 win over Parma only a week ago. His assistants are Federico Longo and Giovanni Baccini. The fourth official is Fabrizio Pasqua, and Massimiliano Irati is on the VAR assisted by Dario Ceccioni. For my prediction, I'm going to go with a 3-1 Atalanta win. I'll give the Atalanta goals to Duvan Zapata, Luis Muriel, and Robin Gozins, and I'll give the Napoli goal to Chucky Lozano. As always, whenever I predict a Napoli loss, I hope I am wrong, but I think the cards are completely stacked against us for this match. Atalanta are going to go all out for a win, getting to the final, and in fact winning the Copa is their top priority. Of course, we want to win the Copa too, but I think the mounting injuries are going to be too much for us to overcome. Atalanta's attack matched up against this backline is simply a recipe for disaster. 
here's how I see this game going. Napoli set up to defend, but still concede twice in the first half. That forces Gattuso to switch to an attacking formation to start the second half, and perhaps we pull one back. Finally, with Napoli pressing for an equalizer, Atalanta scores their third on the counterattack. Like I said, I hope I'm wrong. The last thing we need is another loss, let alone in a big spot here. It would just mean more drama around the coaching situation heading into what is our biggest match of the season against Juventus. So that will do for this preview. I hope you enjoy the game. That will also do it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends and give us a 5-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of us, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Pod. I won't be recording an episode of Forza Napoli Worldwide after this match, but I'm hoping to put out some extra content ahead of the Juve match, so keep an eye on our social media pages for that. We'll be back later in the week to review the Atalanta match and to preview the Juve match, but until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli sempre! It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.